What's up, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to Life Code. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Hey, we dedicated like 20 plus kids today. You guys were busy during quarantine. <laughs> oh gosh, so many babies. Um, <laughs> hey, I want to recap this series for you. This is the last week of I Confess, and uh, next week we're going into a new series about hold fast to the confession of our faith, as it says in Hebrews. Hold fast to the confession. And so this is the last week of I Confess, and I have loved this series. I hope you've loved it too. Every time I've been studying for this series, I feel like God is just revealing and showing so much truth. And man, I want to be a person who walks in the truth. Come on, right? And so we talked week one about I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The week two, we talked about what is truth? What is truth? Some people say, well, I have my truth. You have your truth. That's true for me, but it's not true for you. Or it's true for you, but it's not true for me. It's all kind of like subjective truth. What we talked about is, no, that's not really true. Uh, truth is true for everybody. If it's true for me, it's true for everybody. If it's true, right, truth is objective. It exists outside of us, not just inside of us. It exists outside of us. And Jesus is truth. His words are truth. Uh, John 17, 17 says um, that his word is truth. God's word is truth. Truth is also light. It illuminates, it shines, it reveals, it, it helps us to walk in, in light instead of walking in darkness. Now, you might be thinking, Kyle, I'm kind of agitated because as you're preaching all this stuff, you're illuminating too much stuff. It's like you're kind of waking me up in the morning like with someone turning a light on. Come on, how mean is that, right? When you wake up in the morning, you want someone to slowly turn the light on, slowly bring the light up, right? But when we talk about Jesus' truth, hey, listen, you're not the king of the world. Jesus is the king of the world, right? It's like, whoa, you're waking me up too quick. Like, slow down. Give me a break. Um, I, the reality is a lot of us like darkness. We like darkness because it's more comfortable, and everything's simple, right? In darkness, everything is just black. Everything is just dark. Everything is just... And when light comes on, man, it illuminates, it reveals, and... We're called to be creatures of the light, not creatures of the dark, right? We're called to be creatures of truth, not creatures of darkness. We're called to seek after truth, not seeking after darkness. And so that was week two. Week three, we talked about basic truths about God. We talked about the Apostles' Creed. Who is God the Father? Who is Christ the Son? Who is the Holy Spirit, right? What is the church? We talked about basic truths. And then this week, we're talking about the truth about you and me, okay? The title of this message is, I Confess My Sin. Come on, this is gonna be great. You're gonna love it. You're gonna absolutely love it. I wanna read to you 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You're going to be so encouraged today. You're going to be so built up today. We're talking about I confess 
my sin. Kyle, no, I don't want you to talk about confessing sin. I hate the thought of confessing sin. No, here's the reality. Every person in this room loves confessing sin. You love it. You love to confess sin, as long as it's not yours. <laughs> I love to confess sin, as long as it's somebody else's sin. I have two daughters. Story is five, Scout is two and a half, and Story loves to confess Scout's sin. She comes running in the room, Dad, 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 look at what Scout just did, right? And then she waits and she goes, are you going to spank her? I'm like, no, I'm not going to spank her. And she's waiting. She's like, come on, Dad, do it, do it. I caught her in sin. You need to catch, right? We love to confess sin. We do that with God sometimes too. We come, to, we come to God and we're like, hey, I caught one of your children acting up. Are you going to smite them? Right? That's, we love that. We love to tell about other people's sin. Sometimes in church, we spiritualize it and we say, hey, pray for so-and-so. Let me tell you what they did. Right? <laughs> and we start to talk about what's going on in their life. Hey, pray for them. Let me explain to you what they did. That's called gossip. Okay? And if you tell somebody else's sin, that's called gossip instead of telling your own sin. We love to gossip. It's a multi-million dollar business. You know those magazines that check out at all those grocery stores, right? You go to check out and there's all these gossip columns and did you hear this and did you hear that? Have you ever heard gossip told about you that has like come back around full circle? Like someone told a story about you and then someone else told the story and then someone else told the story and then a friend of yours came to you and said, hey, here's what I heard. And as you're hearing it, man, the story has taken on a life of its own. It's like, wow, what did I do next? Like, I, I don't remember any of that. Like, I didn't know that was in the story, right? Gossip is a way we tell other people's sins. And it's not good enough to just tell what they actually did. We got to embellish. We got to make it worse. We got to add to the pain. Are you tracking with me? Um, it is the oldest trick in the book to confess other people's sin and not our own. When I say it's the oldest trick in the book, it started with a guy named Lucifer, or the devil. Um, he, is, he got two things wrong. He got the truth about God wrong. He thought he could be like God. He thought he could ascend and be like God. But he also gets us wrong. He is constantly telling on us all the time. The Bible says that he's the accuser of the brethren. He's constantly saying, did you see this? And did you see this? Are you going to spank him, God? Huh, huh, huh. Are you going to spank him? Get him. Like, he's constantly lying about stuff. He's constantly accusing. He's constantly talking about other people's sin. We're not called to be like that. We're called to be children of the light. And so our design or the way God's made us is not to confess other people's sin, but we love to confess other people's sin. Um, in the world today, there's a you know, a culture, we call it. It's called cancel culture, okay? Cancel culture is the latest attempt for us as humans to tell on other people's sins instead of our own sins. Cancel culture is the latest attempt for us as humans to constantly point at other people's sin instead of our own sin. What is cancel culture? I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you. Cancel culture is... Um, I find a tweet that you tweeted in 2009, okay? You tweeted this thing, and I find this tweet, and I 
pull it out and I, right before you get a job promotion, right before you get elevated, right before you get status, right before you land the job or land the whatever, I pull that out and I create, get this, this is always how it works. I create a fake Instagram account, okay? Some ridiculous name, okay? And then I take that tweet and I post it all over the place and I'm outraged and I get a whole mob mad with me. Do you see that he said this? I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that, right? We get everyone mad, we get everyone outraged. And what is the aim of it? We're trying to show everyone how evil this person is, how messed up this person is, and we're trying to get them banished from the community. We have to take away all of their access to people. We have to ban them from speaking at colleges. We have to ban them from society. We have to ban them from getting job promotions. We have to ban them from, are you tracking with me? This is cancel culture, okay? There's some stuff that cancel culture gets right, and there's some stuff that it gets wrong. All of the components of cancel culture, I think, are innate to us as humans. Humans instinctively know that there is some kind of standard of some kind. There's a standard, there's a ruler, there's a measuring stick of some kind. There's some kind of standard. And we all instinctively know that there is a judge of some kind, that that judge is gonna measure us against the standard and that that judge will enact a judgment. We all instinctively know, right, that there's a sinner that somebody violates that standard, that somebody has broken that standard. We all instinctively know that there needs to be confession of some kind, that we need to get this sin out in the open. We need to show off this. We need to, we need to get it out of the open instead of letting it be hidden. And we all know there's this thing called atonement. Now, what is atonement? Atonement is somebody's gotta pay the price for this sin. Somebody has to pay the price for this this brokenness. Somebody's got to pay the price for this wickedness that has just occurred. And then there is community. Now, what do I mean by community? Um, There's a group of people, and we feel like we have to protect our people, and so we push the sinner outside of the community so that the community stays clean. Because when somebody sins, it's not just the evil that that happened in their heart, but it's the evil that came about in society because of their sin. So when somebody sins, it's not just you know, messed up that they're an evil person or a broken person, but also they, they create kind of a nastiness in the air. They create kind of a stinkiness in the air. They create issues between other people. They mess up the community, right? If somebody sins, man, it, 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 it makes the atmosphere kind of gross. And so cancel culture has a lot of the components there. There's a standard, there's a judge, there's a sinner, there's confession, there's atonement, there's community. Now, In cancel culture, what is the standard? Come on, you can talk to me this morning. Last service, we were talking about sins, and everyone was just like, (laughs) I wouldn't talk. In cancel culture, what is the standard? The standard is me and my feelings. Good job, Jasmine. I'll give you credit for about to having said that. Okay. The standard in cancel culture is me and my feelings. Just about the worst thing you can do in 2021 in the world we live in is hurt, not somebody else's feelings, my feelings. 
you can't hurt my feelings. Like, if you hurt my feelings, you have committed a grave sin. Babies will cry about it. If you, if you violate my feelings, you, that is the worst sin that you could possibly do. The standard is me and my feelings. My feelings are righteous. My feelings are holy. My feelings are, are true. My feelings are, that's the standard in cancel culture. In cancel culture, who is the judge? Me, the mob. Right? Not God, mob. It's another three-letter word. The mob is the judge. They're out to get, right? And in cancel culture, who is the sinner? You, not me. I'm not the sinner. You are the sinner. You have sinned and fallen short of my feelings. <laughs> you have sinned. Um, in cancel culture, there is a confession that is made, but it doesn't come from you, the sinner's mouth. It comes from my mouth. I have to scream from the rooftops and make sure everyone knows just how bad of a person you are. I have to make sure that everybody knows just how awful you are because you hurt my feelings. <laughs> it's actually really funny if you think about it, right? I have to make sure everyone knows you're a mean-spirited person, you're a nasty person because you hurt feelings. Oh, the confession, but it comes from my mouth. It doesn't come from your mouth. It doesn't come from the sinner's mouth. It comes from the judge's mouth. What is the atonement? The atonement, somebody's gotta pay a price. What's the price we're gonna make sure you pay in cancel culture? We're gonna banish you from society. We're gonna boot you. We're gonna make sure you never get that job ever again. You know, you can't host that thing you were gonna host. You can't do that thing you were gonna do. You can't get that promotion. Whatever it is, we are going to make sure that you pay the atonement. And we're quite literally gonna make sure that we bring hell about on earth for you. We're gonna make sure that we make your life a living hell, right? That is the atonement that we're gonna make sure. You deserve this because you hurt my feelings. So you deserve absolute torture and punishment and, and brutal because you hurt my feelings. Does it sound like anybody's happy in this equation? Right? It brings about hell on earth. It doesn't bring about anything that even looks anything remotely like heaven. Right? And what happens in the community? What happens in the community? You are banished from the community. You are sent out away from the community. You are punished. You are removed you are expunged from the community, and even in your death, we will make sure that we erase any memory that you ever even lived. We gotta, we gotta get rid of you. We gotta annihilate you know, your memory. We have, to, we have to get rid of you. This is cancel culture. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Sounds so fun and so amazing. We should all be so happy right now living in this culture. This brings hell on earth, but it doesn't bring anything resembling heaven at all. It's got all the right components, but they belong to the wrong people. There is a standard, and God is the standard. God, his nature, and his word is the standard. God's nature and his words are the standard. Now, when I say God's nature, what do I mean? I mean, God is pure, perfect goodness. He is holy, he is righteous, he is pure, perfect goodness. A lot of people say, well, I don't believe in a God who's sitting in heaven and he has a rule book for how you should do this and how you should do this and how you, you know, you're not allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do that. I don't believe in that God either. I don't believe in a God in heaven who has a, you know, he wrote a book just to say, oh, wait, what, what were my rules for humans? Oh yeah, they're not allowed to do this and they're not allowed to do it. 
I don't believe that either. The righteousness, the standard comes from who God is. In other words, we don't have a God who's just coming up with random rules to put on humans. God is saying, I am good. This is good, right? And so when he creates humans, he wants us to live in the good, to be in the good. His nature, his words, they're good, they're pure, they're holy. They are the standard. My feelings aren't the standard, but God is the standard. Come on, that message literally could be a 20-part series in the world we live in today. My feelings are not the truth. My feelings are not the standard. God is truth, and God is the standard. Okay, here's number two. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge. Now, some people want to follow a Jesus who they say would never judge anybody. Right? Jesus would never judge anybody. He's not judgmental. He's not harsh. Jesus would never judge anybody. But I want to just make really clear to you, Scripture tells us that Jesus is going to judge. He's going to judge. He is a judge. Now, here's what it says in 2 Timothy 4. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by appearing in his kingdom. So, Jesus is going to judge. I heard a very popular preacher say recently, some of you have been told that God isn't a good God, that he has plans to judge you. Uh, Time out. That's scripture, bro. (laughs) That's scripture. Jesus does have plans to judge. Now listen, that judgment can be life or death, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, There can be reward. There can be blessing. Uh, Here's what I do want to tell you about the nature of God. The Bible says that in order to come to God, You have to believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, the judge that we serve doesn't lead with punishment. The judge that we serve wants to reward. Just keep that in the back of your mind. We have a judge. His name is Jesus. He is a righteous judge. He is going to judge. But the nature of this judge is that he's a rewarder. He, he is someone who wants to reward. He is someone who wants to bless. He is someone who wants to, and, and what does he reward? He rewards diligently seeking after him. In other words, when we get punishment or when we get you know, the opposite, it's not because he gave it to us. It's because C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, in the end, there will be those people to say to God, thy will be done. And there will be those people to whom God says, thy will be done. What does that mean? That means in the end, those people who will come into eternal goodness and and heaven and blessing will be the people who on earth said, thy will be done. And the people who go to hell, the people who, you know, it'll be the people to whom God says, okay, thy will be done. I heard somebody say recently, oh, wow. Okay, great. We're happy about hell. Woo! (laughs) Um. God doesn't want to punish. He wants to reward. Everyone who goes to hell will be singing the song, I did it my way. (laughs) That was a really good joke. I didn't make it up. I heard it somewhere else. (laughs) Um, You don't go, you don't go to hell because God is like, I can't wait to send these kids to hell. You know, We go to hell because we chose 
I choose me over God. I choose my way over. You're tracking with me. Jesus is going to judge. He's going to turn the lights off too. Jesus is going to judge, but what he wants to, he wants to reward. It's up to you. If you want to choose judgment for yourself, you can choose your will over his will. You can choose your purposes over his purposes, but we have to swallow the fact that Jesus is going to judge. He is going to judge. All right, number three, number three, number three. Um, Not only is God the standard, not only is Jesus the judge, but I am the sinner. I don't get to be the standard. I don't get to be the judge. In Christianity, I'm the sinner. I'm not the standard. I'm not the judge. I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner. Um, Okay, well, what does that mean? Sin means to miss the mark. Sin is a coming short of the mark. Sin is a falling short of the perfect standard. Now, I have, like I said before, I have two daughters, and story is, you know, we'll go to an amusement park or a theme park, and she wants to know, can I ride such and such ride, right? Can I ride this ride? Can I ride that ride? And every amusement park has those, those uh, measuring sticks, right? And you have to go up and you have to see if you're tall enough to ride the ride. And Story, right before we go in, she's like, Mom, am I tall enough to ride the ride? And we're like, we don't know. Story's going. She's getting the biggest sole shoe that she can possibly find. She's like, what about this? And we're like, you're not going to wear high heels into a park, okay, right? But she's got high heels. And then what does she do with her hair? She puffs her hair up as big as she possibly can. She puts it in a ponytail and puts it up as big as she possibly can. Why? So that when she goes to this thing that she can measure up to the stick. And what happens when she gets there? Immediately the worker pushes her hair down. You're not tall enough to ride this ride. This is what we do, though, to God. We behave like if we just get shoes that are tall enough, if we just puff our hair up big enough, come on, Pentecostal Holiness Church, hair this big, and it's usually pink or purple, right? TBN, hair this big. If I just puff my hair up, if I just, you know what? You know what it is? It's not me being tall enough. It's me trying to put on all the externals to appear like a saint, Right? In Christianity, you know what it is? It's people, it's people walking in with the biggest Bible they can possibly find. Now listen, if you have a big Bible, I'm not judging you at all. <laughs> at all. At all. Okay. But it's people, it's people, it's it's not, it, it's it's a lot of it is I'm just trying to show that I am tall enough. I'm I'm, you know, I got this this life that I have to portray, that I am a saint, that I am holy, that I am awesome. Non-Christians do this too. It's called virtue signaling, okay? What is virtue signaling? It's I have to show everyone else that I am a good person. And the way we usually do that is we swap out the standard. Instead of comparing to God, we compare to one another. So virtue signaling is often I am not these awful, terrible things, but so-and-so is these awful, terrible things. Or, I was watching this movie, and I can't believe they said that. Okay, you don't really care. What you're doing is you're trying to virtue signal that you are holy and righteous and awesome. Nope, you're a sinner. (laughs) You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. 
I have sin in my life. I am a sinner. I have sin in my life, right? I am not perfect. I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. God is holy. He is righteous. The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God. They're like filthy rags. In other words, you are never going to measure up to his divine holiness, his goodness, his righteousness. You, you, you have sin in your life, right? I'm a sinner. I don't have time to talk about other people's sin. I don't have time to focus on how you're getting everything wrong. I got sin in my own life and I like, right? Okay. Number four, there's a confession. And I have to confess my sins. I have to confess my sins. God wants us to be truth tellers. He wants us to tell the truth. He wants us to tell the truth about who he is. And he wants us to tell the truth about who we are. There is no sense in Christianity walking around acting like you got your life all perfect and all holy and all, you know. There's no sense. There's no sense. Be real. Be real. I got sin in my life. I, I am, I am, uh, I'm going to confess my sin. I was talking to someone recently who sitting with me, they're, they're telling me they're, oh, great. They're, they're talk, they're talking to me about, um, I guess we're on a good track. Thank you, God. All right. Um, I'm sitting with somebody and they're telling me, you know, all these things that I'm, that I get wrong. You know, if you have a family member, it wasn't a family member. Okay. (laughs) But if you have a family member, you have this person in your life too, right? Telling me all the stuff I'm getting wrong. And as I'm listening, I'm like, that's not even anywhere close to the worst thing I've got going on in my life right now. (laughs) And they're trying to, you know, disqualify you. And well, you you said this when you were 18 years old. And I was like, bro, you should have heard me yesterday. (laughs) Did you see me on the drive to church this morning? (laughs) You know, um, Martin Luther had a filthy mouth. That guy, he cussed like a theologian, okay? And, um, and he famously said that the devil appeared to him one time and told him, I know every bad thing that you've ever done. And he said, you just, if the devil ever appears to you that way, just list off stuff he's not aware of. <laughs> well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about that? Right? I, 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 don't, I don't need to be like perceived as a perfect, holy person. God is perfect and holy. I want to walk in his light and walk in his truth. I want to walk in his goodness. I want to walk in his grace. I got to confess my sin. I got I to gotta speak it. I got to get it out. When we confess our sin, we bring it into the light. We expose it to the light. And when it's exposed to the light, God does his work and he cleans it and he gets rid of it and he washes it away. Confess my sin, right? The Bible says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That means that the church, the place that understands just how holy and good and awesome God is, we should also be able to be comfortable telling each other, hey, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm going through. Now, a lot of times we tend to think, I don't really have anything I need to confess because so-and-so did something really awful and terrible. Do you know that of the seven deadly sins, none of them are the big ones that you and I would think of when we think of really bad sin? Like just automatically, you know, well, I've never killed anybody. 
Well, guess what? Murder isn't on the list of seven deadly sins. That's really ironic because it literally is a deadly sin. <laughs> but it's not a list of the seven deadly sins. You know what some of those deadly sins are? Pride, greed, lust. Okay, so great. You didn't do something horrible you know, that so-and-so did or that you read in the tabloid or that you, do you got greed? Do you have pride? Do you have lust? Maybe you've got something to confess. Maybe you've got something to work out with God. Maybe you've got something to address in your life, right? Greed, lust, any, anything like that. God wants us to bring those things to the light. I don't have time to confess your sins because I'm busy confessing my sins. I don't have time to point at you and say, look at what you're getting wrong. I, I, I wanna get my stuff out I want to get it out in the open. I want to walk in the light, and I want to allow God to work on me and to grow me and to transform me, right? Those, those seven deadly sins. Now, pride, lust. Sometimes people think that Old Testament God is mean and New Testament God is nice. I just want to remind everyone it's the same person, okay? It's the same person. Some people think that when Jesus comes on the scene that he's going to be nicer than the Old Testament guy. That Old Testament guy, oh, he says some really harsh stuff, right? But this New Testament guy, he's nice, right? He's awesome, right? Um, okay, well, let's take an example. Old Testament, um, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. New Testament, Jesus but I say to you, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Does that guy sound nicer? I don't think so. That doesn't sound nice. Nice would be like, you've heard it said, if you commit adultery, eh, but I say to you, eh, it's all good, right? That would, that's, that's what, no, what Jesus says is, what am I trying to say here? Jesus didn't come to abolish the law or to rid, he came to fulfill the law. He came to show us that we need a savior. He came to show us that we need grace. He came to show us, listen, while you're so railing on somebody else's sin or can you believe, or let's stop for a second and let's look at our own hearts and go, man, I need to confess this. I need to get this out. I need to get this out in the open. I need to deal with this. I need to deal with this attitude issue. I need to deal with this this lust or this pride or this, you know, I need, to, I need to deal with this. I need to deal with this stuff. All right, Jesus is the atonement. His blood is the atonement. I wanna tell you brief history about how this worked in Jewish times. In Jewish times, before Jesus came, when, Jesus, uh, when, when a Jew would sin, what they would do is they would take one of their animals, perfect, spotless, without blemish, they would take their animal down to the priest, and the priest, not them, but the priest would kill the animal as a sacrifice for the sin. So I would bring the animal, the priest would kill the animal as a sacrifice for the sin. Somebody's gotta pay the price for sin. The wages of sin is death. Somebody's gotta pay the price. And so we come and we, we well, I don't understand. Why can't God just let us off the hook? Why can't God? You need to listen to the message a couple weeks ago. God is the lion and the lamb. He can't just let us off the hook. He's got to uphold both his justice and his mercy. 
And so how does that work? Well, we'll see here in just a second. So we, they would bring an animal and they would sacrifice the animal. Now, a couple things here. It was done by a priest. You didn't get to just say, I sinned and go in your backyard and kill an animal. You had to bring the animal to the priest and the priest had to do it. Why? Because the priest served as a mediator between God and man. If you could just go in the backyard and kill an animal for the sin that you had committed, I would just go out and do the worst thing I possibly could do and then go slaughter an animal in the backyard and say, I'm good. It's not like that. It's a sacrifice, not a slaughter. It's a sacrifice, not a slaughter. I don't get to just say, I did something bad, so now let me do something even more bad. I have to say, man, I did something bad, and there has to be some mediation, some, some reconciliation, some, there's gotta be a priest who like sacrifices the animal. Okay, now how does this apply to the New Testament? Hebrews 2 says this. For this reason, he had to be made like them. He had to be made in flesh, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus is the priest, and he is the sacrificial animal at the same time. What does this mean? I don't get to take the grace of God for my own. He gives it. I don't get to take God's grace and forgiveness. I receive God's grace and forgiveness. Some people treat God like, well, I'm just going to go out and sin because it doesn't really matter because that is treating Jesus like a slaughter and not like a sacrifice. When I understand it as a sacrifice and not a slaughter, man, I don't want to see that thing paid on my back. I don't want to create that scenario where there's a gratitude, there's a thanksgiving, there's a humble, there's a, there's a, there's a repentance that happens when I realize that Jesus is a sacrifice, not a slaughter. That's why when Jesus, right before he died, he said, you can't take my life, I lay it down. He is the high priest who is laying down his life. You and I don't get to claim God's grace for ourselves. We can receive his grace, but we don't get to arbitrarily apply it to ourselves. Like, well, uh, he'll just forgive me. Are you tracking with me? So what does this mean? This, uh, hey, it's the same act. Jesus' grace is covering, but my attitude is totally different. I'm not approaching this as just like, well, you're gonna forgive me. I'm approaching this like, God, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you. God, I repent. I, I don't wanna do that anymore. I, I repent. I come to you like with open arms. Like, God, if you'll, if you'll have me, if you'll receive me, and he does. He opens his arms and he says, come on in, right? But it's not ours for the taking. It's his for the giving, Jesus' blood is the atonement. All right, now what happens with community in the Christian model of confessing sin? We're not banished from the community. I'm brought into the community. When I repent or when I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive. Get, get this, the sin gets pulled out of the camp, but I get pulled into the camp. 
you know, in this cancel culture thing, we got to take the sinner and we got to throw them as far away from the camp as we possibly can. But in Christianity, Jesus throws our sins as far as the east is from the west. He throws our sins out, but he pulls us in. We're brought into community. Here's what 1 John 1.5 says. It says that if we walk in the light, um, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him while we walk, sorry, if we say we have fellowship with him when we walk in darkness, we, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When we confess our sin, we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses all of our sin. The only person who had to leave the community in this scenario was Jesus. Jesus took the cross and he carried it out of the community up a hill and he was crucified. He had to endure absolute breakdown of community, absolute breakdown, like even his relationship with his father, God Almighty, right? Because of the sin that was placed on him. Cancel culture, we love to make an example of somebody. You need to be made an example in this in this situation, Jesus took the sin of the world on his shoulders. He left the community and was crucified. And now because of that, man, there is no separation from the community. If anything, you're pulled into the community. Listen, the world is throwing people away because they made a mistake 20 years ago or they said this wrong or they violated my feelings or they hurt this or they hurt that. The church should be the place with open arms saying, I don't care what you did. I don't care what, come on in, receive grace, right? Well, so-and-so did such and such. Yeah, guess what? You're re they're receiving grace for that and you're receiving grace for your prideful, judgmental attitude. We're all receiving grace. So we pull into community, not banish from the community. Okay, great. And we're gonna land the plane right here um, how do I confess? I'm glad you asked. Okay, how do I confess? Four ways. Number one, we confess through baptism. When we're baptized, we are confessing our sin. Now, I know there's people signed up to be baptized in a couple weeks or whatever, and, you, and right now you're like, oh, great. There's this new thing they're gonna do where I have to confess all my sins when I'm baptized. <laughs> the act of baptism itself is saying, I identify with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, my sin was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So when we're baptized, we confess the truth about God. We confess the truth about who he is. We confess the truth about he is Lord, he is Savior, he is almighty, he is omnipotent. You know, we, we confess about who he is, and we're, we get real about us. Man, before Jesus, this was the sin that was in my life. This is what was going on. Listen, you don't have to list every single sin you've ever committed when you're baptized. We'll be there all day, right? Um, but when we're baptized, we confess our sin. We receive grace for that. God cleans us. He washes us. You know, some people go, well, after I was baptized, I still sinned, right? Like, why did I still sin? Do I need to get baptized again, right? Did they not hold me under the water long enough? Like... <laughs> That's the, pro that's the problem. Sometimes we don't baptize people long enough, right? This guy's a 14-second baptism. That guy needs two minutes right there. 
right? We gotta, we gotta really keep them there. We gotta really make sure that all those sins go. If you sin after baptism, I gotta, I gotta let you off the hook, okay? You don't have to get rebaptized. Let me let you off the hook. First John 1.5 was written to Christians. So he says, um, if you sin, confess. So he's not saying, like, after you've been baptized, if you sin again, uh-oh, it didn't work. No, he's saying, after you've been baptized, if there's sin in your life, confess it. Get it out. Say it, right? So number one way that we confess is first through baptism. Second, we confess when we receive communion. Um, what does this mean? I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 11 to you. 1 Corinthians 11. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if, you judge yourse- if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we might not be condemned along with the world. The very first time Jesus ever did communion, he broke bread and he passed it to his 12 disciples. He took the cup, he blessed it, he passed it to his 12 disciples. 12 disciples that night ate the bread and drank the cup. The bread, this is my body, which is for you. The cup, this is the wine of my new covenant. This is the blood, the, the new covenant confirmed in my blood, right? As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The very first time he did that, um, 12 disciples took that, that meal that night. And right after is when Satan entered Judas. So the cup that is meant to be blessing, that is meant to be grace, that is meant to be this is for you, this is sacrifice, this is, you know, that same cup taken in a haphazard, flippant, God is for me, right? And that attitude, that's when Satan entered Judas. Now, is there anything magical about the wine and the bread itself? No, here's here's what happened. Judas knew that just a few moments later, he was gonna be betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. In other words, uh, Judas approached Jesus as if Jesus was a cash cow or a, 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 a thing to bless me. Give me money, bless me, serve me, benefit me. And when we receive communion, man, our spirit and our attitude is not, thank you, God, for serving me today. Our attitude is, God, thank you for your body broken for me. Thank you for the blood that was shed for me. It's not an attitude of slaughter. It's an attitude of sacrifice. When we take communion, we go, God, thank you. I'm undeserving. I, I you know, it, it, but thank you. Thank you that you pull me into right relationship with you, that you broke your body for me, that you poured out your blood for me. It's an attitude of thanksgiving. It's an attitude of, of, of humility. It's not an attitude of taking from God, but it's an attitude of thanking, receiving, right? So we receive, we, we confess in communion. When we take communion, in just a few moments, when we take communion, we're gonna examine our own hearts. And if you have sin in your life, if you have something that's, that's nagging at you or whatever, listen, just take a moment and just say, God, this is the thing specifically that I wanna ask you to forgive me for today. This is the thing that I want grace for today. Here's way number three. We confess through prayer. Matthew 6 says this. It says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Another translation says, forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven those who sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither, your father, um, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. When we pray, we're supposed to be praying, God, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. So we confess through baptism, we confess through communion, we confess through prayer. Listen, also we confess through forgiveness because you can't, you can't receive forgiveness if you're not forgiving other people, right? And we confess in relationship. The book of James says that if we confess our sins one to another, we will be healed. God can bring healing today through the confession of our sins one to another in relationship. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, Catholic church where we have a confessional booth and you have to come in and you have to confess. Listen, I would be the absolute worst person to ever give confession to because I think I'd just be laughing the whole time because it'd be so uncomfortable, right? Forgive me, Father, I have sinned. And I'd already start laughing because you called me Father. Like, that would make me laugh. And then, and then, and then like, I'm, we don't have to develop that Catholic culture of whatever. But you know what we do need to embrace? Confess your sins to one another. Hey, I had a really bad attitude. You know, I, I have a bad, I'm in a bad mood. I'm, a, I'm grumpy and I'm nasty and I'm, you know, whatever. Confess your sin. As soon as you do it, both the sin and the shame lift off of you. I have never heard anyone confess something. People are always like, I'm about to confess something and it's really bad. It's really, really awful. And then as soon as they do, I'm like, that's it. We all think that our thing is the worst thing ever and no one's ever struggled with this before and no one's ever, but when we confess to one another, man, God can bring healing. He can bring restoration. He can, so we confess through baptism. We confess through communion. We confess through prayer and we confess through relationship with one another. Be a safe place for somebody. Be a safe place for somebody to confess, to confide, to speak, where you're not gonna run around and tell other people, but you're gonna be a safe place. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. So um, not only does the love of Jesus cover our sin, but also the way we love one another. We're, we're, we're gonna cover each other. I'm not gonna expose you. I'm gonna cover, right? I'm gonna pray a prayer over you. God, I pray as we conclude this I Confess series, and as next week we go into hold fast to the confession of your hope, hold fast to the confession of your faith. God, I pray that we would be truth tellers, that we would tell the truth about who you are and that we would tell the truth about who I am, who we are, that we would tell the truth about your righteousness, your holiness, your how great you are, how awesome you are, and we would tell the truth about, man, this is an area of my life where I'm struggling. This is an area of my life where I have sinned. This is an area, God, when we do that, we know you're gonna atone for that sin. You're gonna... You're going to offer, um, just, just like the Bible says, you're in heaven at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you so much. God, we thank you today for your grace, for your mercy, that even though you are going to judge, that that can be a beautiful thing for those who are walking in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you that your spirit and your heart is to reward, to, to bless, to honor. And so God, we thank you so much. We receive it humbly today. We don't treat you as someone that we can just take from. We treat you as thank you, thank you. We receive, we don't take. 
And so God, today we pray that you would help us to receive your grace and your healing for the sins of my life and everyone who's here. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody said, amen. amen.